Overnight success sometimes takes 12 years and it certainly did for today's guest, Samantha Wills. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Standout Life Podcast, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. Samantha Wills started her self-titled jewellery company on the kitchen table of her share house in the eastern suburbs of Sydney when she was just 21 years old. Her rise to the global stage was meteoric and came with dedication focus, as well as a few scars along the way. Since making the courageous decision to close her business, her successful business, Samantha has captured her story. She's captured all of it in her memoir of gold and dust. And there are so many beautiful stories that come in this book. This book is so much more than a business memoir. Samantha shares her insights in today's episode around the decision to go into business, the essence of the community that sits behind the brand Samantha Wills, the power of creativity. And she also shares as a call out for all of us about why we need to listen to our health even amongst the busyness. Samantha tells the intimate details of her life and business. She shares her truth with rare rawness and vulnerability. So please sit back and soak up the honesty, the warmth and the insights from the beautiful Samantha Wills. Samantha, it's such a delight to be sitting down and chatting with you. Thank you for having me. Your book of Golden Dust is your memoir so mm-hmm. far. Um, and it's a beautiful capturing of your story. Thank you. Uh, we were just saying you've had, you know, some feedback. People will sit and read it in one sitting, and that's absolutely been my experience. It's engaging and you oh. just want to keep turning the pages. Thank you. How did you land on the title of the book? That's a great question and one that no one has asked me on this book tour. It's, um, well, you know, with a, when I started writing the manuscript, the working title was Public Brand, Private Life. And that's obviously the whole concept of the book where I'm paralleling those two things. And throughout probably every year, and my publisher's like, can you submit some more options, some more options? I'm not kidding. I would have submitted probably 80 different options for a title. <laughs> what did you have? Like, what oh, were you playing like, with? So we went down all the paths of like, you know, a play on words for jewellery. So, you know, like, you know, all that glitters and um, alchemy concepts around, you know, gold and um, the alchemy process. We went down um, like buried jewels, you know, yellow brick road, like all, like every path yes. you go down, <laughs> we explored it. Um, and then of Golden Dust came to me, um, the other one was um, Marigolds in, in the Midnight, which was kind of, you know, the concept of nothing faces the sun all, the, all of the time. Um, and then when I got of Golden Dust, it was kind of like, you know, some days are golden, some days you're in the dust, the golden thing that were linked to the jewellery. And um, I pitched it to my publisher. She goes, I think that's the one. And I knew that was the one when, when it came to mind. But um, it was a process, let me tell you, to yes. get to it. <laughs> yeah, it's this beautiful picture of the, the all that shimmers. Yeah. But. Um, but the things that kind of lie underneath and and you weave those two threads so beautifully in the stories that you you. tell. Thank you so much. From what I understand, the book was meant to come out last year. Mm -hmm. Last year was a different year in 2020. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's an understatement. (laughs) Talk me through the moment when you realised that you might have to hold back that book launch and what that was like. Yeah, well, I had been living in New York for the last 10 years and then I moved back at the end of 2019 because the book was meant to come out in March last year. So I was like, all right, well, I've got to, you know, I'm touring with the book, I'm doing all these things, so I'll make the move back. So it was about November 2019 the bushfires then hit in Australia. 
then COVID hit, the world changed as we knew it. And um, I also went through a health journey, which I share in the final chapters of the book around that same time. And then, you know, when the world kind of started changing and events and, you know, all these things, social things started to shut down, my publisher was like, you know, I think we really want to tour this book was the premise behind pushing the book back. So um, we're like, let's put it back. It was always going to come out in March because we wanted it for International Women's Day around that time. And then the health journey that I uh, went on that I include in this book now, because it was pushed back a year, so it was going to end probably a lot differently um, Mm -hmm. if it had come out a year earlier, uh, is around endometriosis, which March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. So, um, you know, the stars ended up aligning but at the time you know you're pretty gutted because you've spent you know years and years and painstakingly on you know, this this document. When I first submitted it, it was 148,000 words, the manuscript. So my <laughs> poor editor, like, it's like, you know, the um, never-ending story. And, um, you know, it's 70, 72,000 words now, I think. So, um, yeah, I was a bit upset. But, you know, as with hindsight, it was meant to be at this time. And I I'm, couldn't be more happy that she's out in the world now. Yeah, I yeah. love this sense of um, it being kind of created. And there's no doubt stories on the cutting room floor that <laughs> it's book two. Might, uh, <laughs> might come in. <laughs> the, the memoir number two. Yeah, one of the one of the threads and the themes you talk about is um, stories mm-hmm. and how communities and people really kind of capture two stories and uncovering stories is a big theme. Um, you start your journey growing up in Port Macquarie. That you yep. um, you lived there and and went to high school there. What were some of the stories that captivated you? When you lived in Port Macquarie or in growing growing up, what were some of the things yeah. that kind of resonated for you? Well, I was always a, an avid reader from quite young and that's a credit to my mum. So, you know, very much around like the Babysitter's Club and that type of thing at, at that time. So I was at high school in the 90s. Um, and then I think, you know, in a share in the book, I used to work as Cinderella at Fantasy Glades, which is like a very poor man's Disneyland. <laughs> Um, But, you know, that in and of itself was storytelling. And, you know, even in my art at school, like I was always kind of pushing the boundaries and my teachers would all be like, stay to the criteria. And I'd be like, you know, how can I run electricity through this sculpture? How can I do all these things that are, you know, outside the box? Which I think, you know, at the time was very frustrating to my teachers, but is a complete um, framework of, of why I ended up in the career that I had, this kind of cowboy cavalier way. But even that is an element of storytelling. Like I think, you know, we, stories aren't just words on, on pages. It's um, through every narrative that we that we create. So I really liked And as an only child, I, I think I created a lot of my own stories because a lot of uh, friends would be like, oh, you know, they'd play imaginary friends or play princesses and all these things and I would play imaginary siblings so I would always be like oh yes my older brother like and make up these siblings because it was that was my my storytelling so um yeah and you get to get the best ones that way you do you, <laughs> they don't fight they don't steal totally, your stuff <laughs> totally you work yeah. around that way yeah yeah, yeah. what essence of um I guess that you're growing up in mm-hmm. Port Macquarie. Did you take with you when you when you took the leap to to move to Sydney? Yeah, I think. Well, I don't think I realised it at the time, but I think you know when I started building the brand, the essence of community, and I think that you know small town community is heart and soul of of that, and um, and that's what branding is. Is you know ideally building these communities that are. Um, true to your values and vice versa and this authenticity and, you know, not just brand speaking to consumer but 
community, uh, you know, consumers speaking with each other. So it's, it's, it's a community feel. And that completely was from a small town upbringing that I think that came so naturally to me. Um, but I don't know, I think, you know, even living overseas in New York, it, I always, for so long, and more so when I was in Sydney, I'm like, I thought it was a disadvantage because I remember being at school and being like, everything's so far away. Like, you know, all these opportunities in the cities and things. And, you know, and what I'm about to say makes me sound like I'm about a thousand years old, but there was no such thing as the internet <laughs> when I was in high school. I mean, the internet was, but, you know, we didn't have it in, in school or in the classroom. So really, you know, what you could see is what you knew. It's not like you could log on to this portal and see that creative director is a job. Like, I didn't even know that. So... Um, you know, our big trips were to Newcastle, which was for the Art Express, and we were like, you know, this is the this is the big smoke, <laughs> um, and to get a glimpse into that. So I saw coming from a small town so much as a, a you know a hindrance for such a long time. Then when I really saw the value of community, I think that groundingness of, of small town people, and and I say that because living in New York. Um, there's one story where my friend Freya, who is from uh, the Northern Beaches, she's living in New York as well, but, you know, we're over there, we're chatting in the back of an Uber. And the Uber driver's kind of, you know, looking at us in the revision room and he's like, you know, where, where are you guys from? And he's got a really thick Bronx accent. He's like, where are you guys from? And Freya's like, oh, we're from Australia. And he's like, oh, he's like, okay. And then he looks at me and he's like, and where are you from? And I was like, no, 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 like we're, we're both from the same place. We're both from Australia. And he's like, no, he's like, your accents are so different. And I, and I was like, well, I'm from a small town. He's like, that's it. It's a small town <laughs> accent. <laughs> so, you know, there's this um, connection, I think, to, to small town and, and community around that that uh, now I, I value wholeheartedly. And I think that sense of, yeah, people wanting to belong and to be a part yeah. of and, and you feel that growing up, I think, in a small Absolutely, town. Absolutely, yeah. That's all you've got. In, yeah, in yeah, so many, <laughs> we're in it together. <laughs> yeah, in so many ways. Yeah. Samantha Wills as a brand and as a business um, has ridden so much success mm -hmm. both in Australia and, mm -hmm. and internationally and you talk about that in the book but it's not certainly the only part of it that you talk about but you talk about the highs and lows and the essence of that being in the title of the book. Right. Going into business is a decision. Um and, you know, it's not something that even though creativity and, and things kind of, can, you know, point you in that direction yep. and it is part of something you share in, you know, it was a side hustle, it was something I did on the side right. and, uh, and had my real job. Do you remember that decision and um, that realisation that this is something I'm going to pursue? Yeah, well, I think I think the universe plays this game with us where it's like, here's a green light and you're like, oh, no, you choose to ignore that. Here's another green light and we choose to ignore it. And then it kind of forces your hand in a way. And um, my hand was forced at that time because, as you say, I was working my – and I say my real job because, it was, you know, my nine-to-five retail job. Um, I was down at Bondi Market selling every Sunday and then I was doing – making the jewellery and doing kind of like jewellery parties, like the old – guess like Avon on your genetics thing where I'd, you know, take all the jewellery over to someone's house and then bring friends over and, you know, go on from there. And so I was kind of at capacity of output and it was all going so well that, you know, all the green lights were like, pursue this, pursue this. And in my mind, I just remained in this framework of fear around, oh, no, someone else is meant to pay your salary. Like, what if you don't sell any jewellery that week? And, you know, this complete fear mindset rather than seeing the upshot and, and taking that leap. So um, 
by 2004, I was offered a spot on a showroom wall at Australian Fashion Week. And even taking that spot, I was like, oh, I, am, I don't think I'm good enough for this, you know. And, you know, I was asked a second time and I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. I'll take the spot. It was $500. And I was like, hopefully I'll make one order to, to make the cost back. And ended up writing $17,000 worth of orders. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, okay, I guess I'm a jewelry designer now. And even after that, so having $17,000 worth of orders in my order book, got home on the Sunday night. It was meant to be, you know, my normal job on the Monday morning. And I was like, how am I going to make $17,000 worth of jewelry and work my normal job? Like, it mm. still wasn't. And then, I, you know, and I shared this in the book, but I opened the, the paper that night and the star sign for Sagittarius was like, how long will you sit, sit on the fence? Like, if you don't take yourself seriously, how do you expect, like, you know, pretty much like re reassess um, your relationship with the fence and, and kind of get off it. Yes. Um, and then I quit my job, you know, and was like, all right, I'm going to throw everything I've got at this. So the decision, my hand was forced so far that it, there was just no wriggle room to move but um yeah I truly believe the universe just keeps handing us these things and then it kind of slaps us when <laughs> she's like all right now now's the enough. time yeah decisions kind of made for you yes. along the way and it's not always as nice as seven uh, you know seventeen thousand dollars it's it's sometimes quite a, a much more brutal slap than that which you know I share that through the stories as well but in that case yeah my hand was forced to be like okay it's time now in those early stages um is there a particular moment that you look back on and go, that was something that I hadn't even hoped for and yet the realisation of seeing that there yeah. um, kind of has taken my breath away? I mean, all, all of it, to be honest. Like, it's still surreal to me to, to look back on what we achieved. Um, I think too, and I know the the experience that I had was like I had this singular vision often of success and whatever that was at any given time, whether that's like we need to dress that celebrity or we need to get into that retailer or whatever it was. And I became so focused on this, almost like a pinpoint size. And then, you know, you, you kind of have your blinkers on to that, but then you miss everything else that's unfolding around you. And, you know, success can take different channels, but I was like, no, there's this, you know, A to B and it's black and white. Um, so I think I definitely, one, I think I missed a lot that was unfolding around me and, you know, stayed really holding on tight to this pinpoint. And two, I just I think a lot of the time when something like you asked would happen, I wasn't in the moment long enough to really absorb it. I mean, I knew it was incredible at the time, mm. but you're always like, all right, what's that next? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah there's constantly you know what what else isn't happening right? that other people yeah. don't as well. Yeah. And I think that's the entrepreneurial um, element, right, where you're like, all right, well, and that's what drives you. It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? But if you're never stopping at the the thing, whatever it is, it's just a hamster wheel. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, every time the piece was in a magazine, every time a celebrity wore it, it was like, a, oh, holy shit. Like, is that, that came from my dining room table at that point. So yeah, it was very surreal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's probably, um, you know, a great word to describe it in a sense of just kind of surreal yeah. and keep going. Absolutely. Um, yeah, potential of that kind of breath holding. Mm -hmm. One of the things you do talk about in amongst the kind of business successes and, and, Failures for one of another word, but mm -hmm. the ups and downs um, is talking about going into debt. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of, and particularly female um, entrepreneurs and, and business owners, a sense of debt can be, you know, comes with guilt and I'm not good enough and all of that sort of stuff as well. Um, are you happy to kind of share just, you know, writing the story of, you yeah. know, going into debt, realising it and then coming coming out the other end? Yeah, so I'd gotten myself, so I did everything. And as any solopreneur knows, you know, you're wearing all, your, all the hats at the start, right? Like you're absolutely everything. Um, and 
at that time I knew how to build a brand. So the, the profile of the brand was continuing to grow. And in my naivety, I was like, well, we just need to turn over more money because, you know, but there's no point turning over more money if you've got no structure behind you to kind of support that. So, um, you know, I got got myself into $80,000 worth of debt in the f- three years in, still doing it all by myself. And it's a, you know, it's a weight that I could feel it on my chest at night and then I'd walk around and it would kind of move to my shoulders in the day. And it just, it pins you down. And I think, you know, there's one of the the chapter titles is, is Tsunami. And I, that's how, when I think about that anxiety now, it's just like there was just no escaping it. Um, and for me, I knew, like the bank, rightly so, I had five maxed out credit cards. They wouldn't give me any more money. Um, but I knew in myself there was something in my soul that was just like, it's there is something more to this like it's good like quitting wasn't an option it just mm. wasn't it's not like I chose not to quit I'm like I didn't even see that as as an option um and then I think at that point what I really learned again by default my hand was forced but I look back now and I'm like I just told anyone like so often I think when something's wrong we don't want to tell anyone for fear of showing up imperfectly um and I would then I was like just do you know anyone that is looking to get into business whether it be an investor just someone to help on the business side like would tell anyone that would listen and then um was introduced to it to a gentleman who you know made me an offer and I almost took it and then you know serendipitously um didn't and then met my now my now business partner um but he was the business side of things and I was the creative and that's what I needed you know I I was at the end of the line so it was um not a fun time by any means but definitely taught me a lot about resilience being down there yeah I Mm. bet um but even that power of just kind of sharing and voicing as you say I think so often yeah we don't want to talk that through or ask the questions or ask for help yeah and you know and in that case that was it out of sense of desperation but I'm like imagine if if we can just take that freedom of asking for help because people want to help right like people if you tell me you need help I'm like great like tell me what I can do first one to put our hands up yeah so I I don't know why we're, we're such a closed network whether it's a I don't know, an Australian thing, because I, I didn't see it as much, I think, overseas. And maybe it's an Australian thing. I see, I'm seeing that it's starting to open up a lot more now. But, um, yeah, if we can just be like open books in, you know, helping each other in just like a really natural way. I'm like, everyone wants to help, like hand on my heart, know that. So, yeah. In terms of the the community that mm-hmm. the brand created as we you mentioned before the kind of link back to small town kind of community but there's such a community it continues to exist yes. um such a strong community no doubt you're finding that as you're doing this kind of book tour Indeed. and getting around yes. <laughs> what what do you see as the the thing that has driven the success of that community i think it's a few things um first and foremost we spoke with our consumer not to her and I think you know the the hierarchy traditionally used before I guess digital media was like the brand was the hierarchy and they'd tell the customer what to wear and you're like you know almost like in a dictator way where it's like that traditional advertising kind of thing then when the digital landscape came in I feel like that really flattened that into a more horizontal so you know you couldn't have one pricing in one market and you know different pricing in the other It, it, it was very a transparent market and then I think what social media did was add a really human element to that. So that kind of overlaid this vulnerability. Um, so now you've got, you know, brand, consumer, vulnerability. And when you put that in, it, it that creates the community because when you're, you know, and in my case, the brand was a person's name. So it was a lot easier to communicate as as a 
person rather than just a brand Um, and then connecting with people in that way and I think when we talk about storytelling that's the entire you know core of storytelling is to see yourself in someone else's story and vice versa Um, so I think that was definitely the, the catalyst for how that kind of started talking with our consumer not to her And then I think that consumer then started talking with each other and, you know, our values as a brand attract those values as a community and then those values are, are, you know, interchanged with each other. And, you know, some in the Samantha Wills jewellery community, we would have women that would do meetups that had met, you know, via Instagram for their love of Samantha Wills jewellery. They'd do meetups all over Australia. They would send each other birthday gifts. They would make cakes out of the SW box. Like it was just like (laughs) blew my mind. So... Um, what yeah. did that mean to you at the time? Because there's something about, particularly as you say, when you've got a brand that is yeah, your name yep. um, that is connected, that is so personal. But when you start to see that brand take on a life outside of right. who you are, what did that mean for you? I mean, it's it's a huge compliment. It's um, I and I've I've I mean, obviously, I've worked for myself. I've worked in a lot of other brands, and I'm like, I've never seen anything. Like people would come in, they're like, we've never seen a community like this. They're so passionate. And um, I don't know, it, I think it was a complete um, attribute to the team we had in-house. Like everyone in-house knew all the, you know, really passionate people's names and groups. And it was just, it was it was great. It was like a very high vibrational, you know, happy experience. And I think to, um, and, I, you know, I think while it's my name, I think it eclipsed me many moons ago. So I'm not sitting there being like, I did this and this is what happened. Um, But I think, you know, like-minded people attract like-minded people and they were just like a great, great group of people. So it's it's very surreal and still surreal to see um, today, yeah. In um, amongst the kind of tough times Mm -hmm. with with the business, um, what... What did you learn about yourself um, and what did you learn about business? So I guess those kind of two compartments, often often some of the best lessons we have are when we go through things that are hard mm-hmm. and we wish didn't happen, um, but they they kind of get implanted so so strongly right. that we, we don't have to learn them again. Right. Um, That's a really good way to look at it. <laughs> which is like unfortunate, <laughs> but it works. Yeah. So it happens again and again. What did you learn about business firstly? And then I'll come back to what yeah, you Yeah, I mean, I, so much. And business was a lesson for me because I didn't know the business side of things. It wasn't what I naturally, you know, was drawn to. So it was, I found it quite difficult. Numbers to me are a whole different language. So while I know, you know, how to run a P&L now, it's, it's not something I enjoy. Um, I learned that business is definitely you know, there's a, there's a right and a wrong way to run a business because the P&L is a very black and white, you know, document. What I learned though is, you know, a business without a brand is quite a precarious entity because, you know, the brand is where the loyalty comes from. The brand is the connection. Um, so, you know, if the business is the what and the, the brand is your why, to have a, you know, an entirely um, successful structure on both of those. You need those to interlock in the middle. Um, so it's no point having kind of, you know, one really great but without the other. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I th- when we talk about failure, I've been, you know, talking about this a lot lately where I'm like failure as a word is something I think that we – apply to something so I and part of my language but I'm like there's failures and then there's fuck ups and to me like a a fuck up is more like oh god that was a real mistake and it cost me 10 grand or that was a mistake and it affected other people and you know these things that are 
Whereas, you know, I could look at something when I talk about the, the pinpoint of success before, technically anything that fell outside of that pinhole is a failure to me because, you know, I'm so zoned in on that. Um, so when I look at what I would deem failures throughout the business, um, if it affected other people or, you know, impacted things that I'm like, that's yep. not a failure, that's a fuck up. A failure <laughs> is just a self-imposed Thing. So I kind of learned that, you know, it took me a long time, I think, to roll with the punches in a way of when things don't go to your plan, maybe you just need to like surrender that a little bit rather than being so, you know, holding on tight in, in business. Because if you do that, it's just, it's such an anxiety ridden way to, to live. So yeah, I learned to, to surrender a little bit more and, and see what success looks like in other ways in business. Such a good way to put it. Yeah. It's like, if you fuck up, tell it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. But if it's a failure, then it is what it is. And, it's, and what can we do now? It's a self-definition if it's a failure, I think, because I don't know, I don't even think that word has much merit, to be honest. I'm like, a fuck up is a fuck up. And anything else, as you say, it's, it's ingrained now and we won't yes. do it again. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get rid of that. Yeah. And what did you learn about yourself? Oh my gosh, everything. It's, um, you know, when I think when you name a business after yourself, because I'm, I'm modest like that. <laughs> um, and you know, the next business will be called. Yeah, no. totally, totally. Um, you know, it's, it's a parallel of you and your journey and it has to be and it, it is personal and it's so intertwined. And I think, you know, there's a line in the book where when I told my acting general manager at the time that I, you know, I was closing the business she goes off oh, Samantha Wills the person isn't healthy then the Samantha Wills the brand isn't going to be healthy and um that really resonated with me in, in so many ways outside of that and when you know as whether you have a business that's your name or not your name it's it's so much of you it's it's your lifeblood of it so I'm like if if you're not in a good space you can't show up and be that for your business or for others and things like that so you know I often get asked what's 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 your advice for avoiding burnout and I'm like oh my advice is probably to burn out because it's not until you burn out you really start to learn you know what's important to you where you're going to exert your energy and that way so I think yeah my biggest learnings were definitely on on the floor and um you know in those dark times Mm. Yeah, creativity. You and it's a tagline of this book. His yes. um, memoir of a creative life. Mm -hmm. It's obviously been a big part of what you've put out in terms of the product, the mm -hmm. jewelry, um, the ideas, but also the the. And I guess probably what I got insight into um, is the brand, the you know, all everything right. that a brand is. It's not just a name and the visuals that come with it. It is totally. the belief, the essence, the values, all of that that sits point. behind it. How important is um, creativity when it comes to entrepreneurship and being in business? I mean, to me, it's the paramount. And I, I think because I just love it so much. I think creativity, though, I think when we say the word, we think it's traditionally like, you know, a paint set and a pottery wheel and this kind of traditional concept of creativity. But we're creating all the time, whether it's, you know, creating a friendship, creating a family, creating a home, creating a business. Like, um, and when we start to really honour that process. So for me, the importance is ensuring that we're clearing space for new creativity to reach us. And that might be creative solutions to solve something, creative ideas, whatever that is to the individual. Um, but as a business person, I think so often, 
well, I know I did, where I was like, oh, I've just I've just got to get this done. I'm just going to, you know, you know, and we think the world's going to stop if we don't get an email sent or whatever it is we're doing. No, it will. I, I, I don't know. Know my <laughs> world. What do you mean? It won't. <laughs> um, I don't want to risk it. Yeah, no, totally. I'm not going to be the, the guinea pig on that one. No. Um, but I think that, you know, after closing the business and when people talk about flow state and to me flow state is when you lose track of time and you know almost I even driving so you know I don't have to think when I'm driving because I know how to drive but my mind's still active and some of the best ideas I have reach me while I'm driving they reach me in the shower and to me that's important that's the importance of entrepreneurship is creating carving out times for for that and you know you might not even be going anywhere you might be like I'm just going to spend 20 minutes a day driving because that's important for my creative life by blood to get new ideas and I think so often we we just um almost bastardize the creative process because we're like we just put it at the bottom of the list where I'm like as creative entrepreneurs wouldn't or as any entrepreneur wouldn't you be like paramount making time in whatever that way is to receive new information so yeah, where what are the, have been some of the other creative outlets for you? I mean, one of the things going from particularly being jewelry making yeah. to then moving that to to going to scale to that coming your job. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that can feel like that you know that sense of creativity yeah. has now become about the task lists and the emails. Totally. Are there other creative outlets that you have had over the years? Uh, to be honest, no, and I um, I'm really sad about that because I think you know jewelry was my hobby. It was on my dining table, and then it you know and by my own choice, and I love that it turned into my career. What I didn't do, I didn't replace that hobby with anything. So it was, and I don't get me wrong, like I loved designing. That was what I loved to do. But I think it's so important that you then find some other creative outlet. And for 15 years, I definitely did not have one um I think during the first lockdown with COVID was one of the first times because you know I started writing the book pretty much the day after we closed or around that time um and during COVID I'm like I'm gonna go back and do a paint by numbers I'm gonna do some uh, you know floral coloring in books and all these things and I'm like wow I forgot what it's like to create without a commercial need for an outcome and it was just such a joy so yeah just trying new things to me like I signed up for a floral masterclass online <laughs> like it's like I'm in a retirement yeah. home I'm like who do I think I am <laughs> from the golden girls or no. something um but yeah just trying trying new things and I think we for so long like I said before we just push that to the bottom and it's like oh I don't have the time I'm like make the time because that's when what's meant to reach you reaches you so like I look at it very differently now. Yeah, yeah, finding those creative outlets. You've yeah. touched on it a couple of times, but I want to dive into the story of the decision to close mm-hmm. the business. Um, I think for a lot of people, they might assume that's an unusual decision. You either sell it or yeah. it goes bust. It, right. You know, it, it um, you don't have a choice about it, mm-hmm. but the decision to, to close it. Yeah. How did you arrive on that decision? Well, I think... You know, it seemed to anyone looking on when we announced it in the media, I think it would have looked like a shock decision. Um, But if I put my hand on my heart, I know that probably two years before I even got to that decision, there was, you know, the the flicker inside your soul as a creative person that you know when it's, you know, it's flickering and it's it's healthy and it's exciting. I could feel that starting to to dim. And at that point, I had designed 12,000 pieces of jewellery. And so, you know, over that journey, it's not uncommon for that flicker to go out in creative blocks and, you know. So in my mind, I'm like, no, it's just a creative block. Like it'll pass, you know, six months, a year. It's still, it's getting dimmer and dimmer. 
And, um, you know, that's that's quite tumultuous for a creative person that that's, you know, entirely what I'm on this earth to do. And I'm like, all right, well, what's what does that mean? So my entire thought process at that point was like, I just need to get this back. So I'm like doing meditations. I'm doing all the things that the books tell you to, you know, tap into this creativity. And um, it just wasn't. And, um, you know, at this point, I'd done over the trip from New York to Sydney over 100 times. I'd done that flight. So, you know, that's three months consecutively in an aeroplane cabin. My feet weren't on the that's ground. A long time. It's a long time. It's a long flight. <laughs> long time being in aircon and yeah, food and truly. And at points, like people in in aeroplane cabins felt it felt familiar to that. It was like mm. okay, this is home in a way, which is really really sad in a way too. Um, so yeah, it was. I don't know. I it was just eating me up from the inside out and um you know I spoke to my business partner about it and he's like well you know at this time we're 14 years in like what do you want to do kind of thing so his entire thing was like whatever you choose as the creative founder my job as your business partner is to support you so if you want to move the design team to New York if you want to move back to Australia like whatever it is you want to do so and I think you know when you name a brand after yourself you're like this is my lot in life like this is not unless you you go on to sell it which I'd never had any intention of selling my name ever. So that wasn't even a, a concept to me. I was like, I just need to get this creativity back. So I um, went up to a, like a holistic kind of retreat in upstate New York and I was going to go there for a week and just really try and get myself back together. And I said to my business partner that I was going up there and we used to send these observational emails to each other, which had nothing to do with the p It was all very much around culture and what the energy in the company was and all these things. He was due to send his, he knew I was up there and he's like, do you want me to send it through? I was like, yeah, send it through. Like, you know, I'm working through a lot of stuff. Please send it up. And so, you know, this campus is kind of like, looks like the scene of Dirty Dancing in a way. It's like, you know, very mountainous and beautiful and these wooden cabins. And um, so I was walking from the dining hall back to my room one evening and I was, I was checking my phone once a day and this email came through from my business partner and it titled The Business Was at a Crossroads. And essentially, you know, his observations around, he knew my I was designing kind of jewellery with my hands but not with my heart at this point. So, you know, like I said, whatever I wanted to do to kind of try and fix that, he would support and so I was, you know, reading that. I stopped to read it and then I looked up and I was standing at a physical crossroads and I was like, wow, I like, looked back down at the email, like business at a crossroads, I'm standing at a crossroads. And the road to the left was the main road around campus, which was very, you know, very obvious and very logical. It had these beautiful big palm uh, pine trees, sorry, and, you know, that was the obvious road to take. Then the road to the right was not really a road at all. It was like a bark chip path that kind of, you know, wove through a, a veggie patch and the, a flower garden. And... So with the business at a crossroads on my phone, standing at a crossroads, I just put my hand on my heart and I felt this voice just be like, it's time to close. And it was, it was as, mm. it's time to close. It was as calm and as silent as that. And I kind of looked around and I'm like, it's, it's time to close. I didn't even, the hand on my heart did not even know that was an option. That wasn't even in my repertoire of consideration in those two years. And um, yeah, I was like, all right, so... I said, I'm going to need, you know, this affects a lot more people than me. I'm going to need a bigger sign. And as I share in the book, you know, I won't give away too many spoilers, but, you know, a few more universal signs came quite quickly. Um, And it was such a big decision, but the calmest decision. And so what I did was I woke up every morning for two weeks and I didn't tell a single soul. And I woke up and pretended that I'd already closed the company. And I asked myself how I felt about it, not how I 
thought about it or, you know, didn't put it through the thinking filter. I put it through the feeling filter. And because there was no logic, like I couldn't argue it in logic. The brand was in growth. It was, everything was great. And I'm just like, it's just time to, to close the chapter on this. And it felt right every single time. So yeah, it's, it's, I can see, as I said, why it seemed like a shock decision, but it, it was pretty much two years of inner turmoil and, and questioning, you know, what what is wrong, really. Having arrived at that calm and such mm-hmm. an amazing story, yeah. <laughs> you going up to the veggie patch yeah, yep. and taking the, the road less travelled, yep, as they say. Indeed. Um, where you've arrived at that, your business partner, you know, understood, supportive mm-hmm. of that and the decision to move um, forward. But it can be that others haven't arrived at that same point Absolutely. and want to argue and want to um, kind of be the ones to kind of rescue you from yourself. How right. did you navigate that? Well, I think, you know, and even in other areas of the business, as a creative director, you're working, you know, a year out when you're creating things. So you kind of get get over them because like, I've already done this and mm. you instantly want to change something. But you know, you've got to let people come on that journey with you. You can't, you know, be chopping and changing things. So I did know that that was – I did expect there was going to be some backlash around it. Um, I think the biggest thing that was continually asked is like, why wouldn't you sell it? Like, and I, I understand the question. And I just – it just was not – it's not something I wanted to do. It wasn't – my heart wasn't built in a way to hand the brand over, you know, 15 years of building this brand that meant so much to myself, to everyone that worked on it, to people. I just couldn't see what another – like a bigger organisation would do with it. And I also didn't want to hand – you know, my, I wanted to have my name to – and I didn't know what was next, but I knew I wanted to do it under my own name. And so I think, you know, once I explained that to people – they're like, okay, I get it now. But it, it, you know, I had to tell that story many, many times and often quite publicly um, because to me it was a legacy because I think at that point when your heart is no longer in it as a creative founder, you're either going to run it into the ground and kill it because it's like beating a dead horse when your creativity is not there <clears throat> for it anymore or, you you know, you sell it and it probably burns to the ground anyway because without, I think, the creative founder, especially when it's someone's name, it's – there's a different connection to it there. So I, yeah, I wasn't prepared for either of those, those outcomes. So it was, it was closing it and in doing so honoring its legacy. And the community <clears> that's <throat> being built around it. That's as you Absolutely. say, beyond you, both of those other two options would be betrayed. Like, imagine if you sold it to a, like a, I don't know, a Meyer or like a bigger organization. And then you, you say, all right, community, there you go. Thanks for 15 years of loyalty. It's, mm. I'm like, no, that's not, that's, you've been loyal to me. And this is, this is what, yeah, this is what I think we should do and honour that time together and let's reflect on it. And, you know, it was a six-month closure. It wasn't like we announced it and we yeah. closed. We were still designing. We still had new pieces coming out. We wanted to celebrate the, the community. So, um, yeah, I, and I would not I would not change a thing from that time. It was a, a really special time to reflect on it. Uh, feel free to kind of share as much or as little as you'd like. But in amongst that, once the decision's made, and even in that six months, but and you said you kind of – got to writing the book mm-hmm. book pretty much once you'd close. Did you have or do you have any sense of what's next? Because that can be a fear for business owners or right. entrepreneurs around, well, 
not feeling it, but I also have no idea what else I would do. Yeah. Did I feel it then or now, do you mean? Now. Like, now. yeah, do you have a sense of what's, what is next? Mm, no. I, I, I mean, the book in it, out of itself, I, I now look at, you know, and I often say, even though they're my stories on those pages, if anyone else sees themselves or their experience, they're, they're our stories. So that book now is no longer mine. It's, it's in the world. And I, you know, I call it her. I'm like, oh, I'm glad she's out in the world. And I kind of say, you know, she's going to have her own path. And I'm so honoured to, to follow where that path leads. So I truly hope the book, um, you know, I'm confident it's going to reach who it needs to in that way. I hope there's an adaption of it in some way, whether that goes into other media forms. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I hope that's one channel. And obviously that's a traditional form of storytelling, but, you know, I've, I've always been a storyteller, whether that's through jewellery, whether that's through campaigns now in the traditional format, um, but with the Samantha Wills Foundation around kind of more education, like handing over like all our brand documents, handing over all our marketing templates and things. So I'm like, hey, here's what worked for us if you want to, you know, this might work for you and kind of handing over that two decades of information. So I'd really like to work more so around that um, storytelling and educational space in that way. And that's kind of as far as far as I've got. I, you know, I'm very much a believer that, you know, things take on the life that they're meant to. And, you know, I, I it took me a very long time to let go of that pinpoint of, of success and see what's unfolding. But I'm, I'm adamant at this point in my life that I feel very calmly to surrender that over at this point and, and know it'll land where it's meant to. How can people engage in the Samantha Wheels Foundation? Yeah, so we're just in final rebuild at the moment because you know what's not a good idea is rebuilding your website the same week you're really <laughs> relaunching, a, <laughs> relaunching a book. So we're working very hard to get that up and running. Um, it's probably like another two weeks away or so. But yes, yeah, com will be relaunching with um, the masterclass. We do a creative space workshop, which is around creating space for creativity. Um, so yeah, that's all at samantthewills.com or, you know, through our Instagram at samantthewills. Yeah. One of the things you, you've talked about and you mentioned before with um, with the book not coming out last year mm -hmm. was that you were able to add in um, your health experience, yes. particularly with um, endometriosis. Mm -hmm. uh, and... And I guess one of your realisations is that um, there are times in amongst this kind of journey that we're too busy to listen to our own health. Mm -hmm. When did the sound of health overtake the push to make it more silent? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to phrase it. Um, you know, I wrote an article about this called When the Body Screams and it was the entire premise of it being, you know, the body always wants what's best for us, right? She tells us when she's tired, when she's hungry, she gets goosebumps when things aren't right. Like there's this communication all the time. And for whatever reason, and we know, and we know what intuition means. Like we've known that word since we were little, but for some reason we don't trust our own or, you know, we make the decisions to be like, oh, I knew that wasn't right. I should have, you know, listened to that. And I think for me, um, around 2015, you know, my profile was kind of expanding outside of just being a jewellery designer. I was getting more profile opportunities and it was there was a lot going on. The business was booming. Um, I was in a three-year relationship and it was kind of like a Jenga tower where everything was holding each other up. And the thing with a Jenga tower is, you know, you move one bit and the whole thing comes crashing down. And for me, that was finding out that my partner of three years was cheating on me. And um, after he and I broke up, and it was, you know, it was a very, very dark time in my life, which I, I share very openly in the book. Um, but when he and I broke up, I decided to go off the pill. I was like, I'm just, you know, I've been on the pill since I was 18 years old. I'm just going to give my body a break. And I'm, you know, 34 at this point. And my period just started to get like 
crazy, painful. It was, you know, all these things that I'm like, hang on, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. I jump on Google and, you know, self-diagnose that everything's fine and this is how it's meant to be. <laughs> um, and then, you know, over the process of probably the next four four years, my body just every month would be screaming at me. And, you know, it started off yelling at this point. It was definitely not whispering at this point. It was yelling. And I would just try and numb her and like, all right, you know, just take some more Nurofen, just get on with it. I'll get to that later, get to that later. And, you know, to what you said before, I like, I don't know where we got that concept that our health, like if our, I liken it if my puppy was there every month screaming in pain, like I wouldn't be like, you'll be right. Just like, you'd be like, oh my God, like, how can I help you? Or if your best friend was screaming, like, let's get you some help. But when it's our own body, we're like, ah, that's annoying. Just numb it. And, you know, which is, it's just so heartbreaking. So um, for me. What for you do you think? got in the way of that like was that busyness was it work was it all all I'll get around to it I think too when it's um to do with your monthly cycle you're like I've just got to get through it and then I don't know why I expected it to be different the following months because it was it just progressively got worse um but yeah I, I I hand on my heart cannot answer that question I think you know yeah it's busy um opportunities came up and I think still in that traditional mindset of you can't let an opportunity pass but there's no mindset around maybe look after your health first um so anyway I got to the point where I I, you know I couldn't stand up I was almost passing out from pain and even at the doctor I was at the doctor about something else and I was like oh you know while I've got you and I mean like wincing I was like something's just not right I think my period you know x y and z and she's like okay maybe you should go see a specialist even then I had the specialist, you know, referral in my hand and then I was drawing a plane back to New York and rather than take the specialist appointment when I could get it, I was like, oh, I've got this meeting I've got to get to and still at that point. So by the time I got myself into the specialist office, I was in an operating theatre not a few weeks later. Um, it was stage four endometriosis. They found two oranges, two fibroids the size of oranges on my uterus. It was, you know, it was a significant operation and, I've yeah, it was just like my body was just so mad at me and, and rightly so yeah how have you treated her since then <laughs> that's a great question I'd love to be like oh I listen to we talk all the time <laughs> um I definitely respect the that communication much quicker now um I'm definitely still guilty of being like I'll get to that when things aren't so busy but never again will I leave it that long and you know I'm, I'm very committed to sharing that story um because it's endometriosis is one in ten women it's incredibly common but no one, no one is talking. I hadn't even heard the word endometriosis at 34. Like I wouldn't even know that's an option of what it was. So um, I'm treating her. Yeah, I'm listening to her a lot more and responding a lot quicker. And yeah, and sharing her message as well. What is? And let's just take a moment to go there. What is endometriosis? So again, I know the word. Yeah. But it's not something that's affected me personally. So yeah. it's not something I've explored. Sure. So it's um, essentially like as the very basic concept is, is tissue that grows on the outside of the uterus. And every time you have your period, it bleeds as well. So the more that it just replicates, the more, you know, and there's all different right. symptoms. Of, mm. For me, it was just like the, the um, monthly cycle was just unbearable and it was 10 days a month and it was, you can't leave the house for a lot of days. Like it just took over my life. Um, a lot of people black out um, from pain. A lot of, you know, it can attach to different organs in you. And so the, and there's no cure for it. Um, it's something that you treat and, you know, you might have one operation and it's it's managed. You might have 
10 operations. So it's something that, and it also takes about seven years to diagnose as well. So, um, and when I did share that story publicly, the outpouring and without an exaggeration, thousands and thousands of messages in my inbox. And the undercurrent was, I went to see a doctor about this and I was dismissed as period pain. And so it's not even in the medical profession, there's specialists in it, but it's not a widely researched. Um, Is that why it takes seven years? No, the, I think the, 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 um, the body takes seven years yes, to present okay. it. Yes, yeah. um, but, you know, just. But you, the, you layer that with yeah. we don't get around to it. And then when we do. Right, and you can imagine that when all that collides. So, and then to, and to go in and know that something is so badly wrong, and to be dismissed, I think is just devastating in consequence and in spirit. So, um, yeah, sharing sharing that story and sharing, you know, the, what it and, and I say that only knowing what it is in the last twenty four months, and I'm still doing self research on it. But yeah, it's it's very very common, um, and it's something that I, you know I think if it was happening to men, it'd be a national <laughs> holiday and very well spoken <laughs> about. But we're just like, oh, maybe, and it's not something you compare, right? You're no. like, well, you, we know that periods aren't meant to be fun. We know that they're probably cramping. We, we're like, all right cramping compared to what like what is that so I think it's you know going back to talking about how our body whispers or screams I'm like you know when something's not not right and if if you're waiting for a sign please take this as it and and go and talk to someone and in your heart you know you know yeah, yeah. and if you do get dismissed go and talk to someone please else do. there yes, are plenty absolutely plenty of other other people you're currently obviously doing your book launch one of the um well, you mentioned one of the very few that's actually being done in person. Yes, around, <laughs> very lucky. Around Australia. Mm-hmm. How are you, um, I guess, in terms of energy management? What mm-hmm. sort of things are you being really mindful of as you get in the midst of what yeah. can be a really busy time? I mean, look, it's. I know it's a busy time. I've kind of committed to be like, you know, again, just get through this month. But it's, as you said, like we're one of the only publishing houses touring at the moment and just the adrenaline of being back out. I think when you, you know, you've shared this book and then people share their story back, like there's just, that's energy in it of itself. So I think that's fueling me um, definitely. But yeah, I, I'm definitely, um, you know, sleeping in the car between media appointments, <laughs> not very glamorous, but, you know, definitely getting rest where I can. But I just feel so privileged to be able to be out and, and meeting with people at this time. Yeah. It's a, it is an amazing book and we'll um, put all the links with everything. But uh, the stories are, I think, um, real and honest and oh. raw and, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to pull together. Thank you so much. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? I think if I had to answer that maybe 10 years ago, it would have had a very um, – tangible in regards of what I was wanting to achieve in my career or what, you know, milestones and in my concept of, you know, whatever that meant in a career sense. To me, I think a standout life now is something that works to your own framework. I think as women, especially we've got so much work to undo this framework of whether it be society or our own family or our parents or whatever that is that we place on it. And, you know, we've got to meet someone at this age and have babies by this age and tick, 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 tick. And so often we're trying to like live to this framework that is set in stone. And obviously my framework's going to be different to what your framework is and, and really stripping back to that core authenticity and, you know, shedding those things that 
you know, I use the example of whether it's your religion as a child, whether it's something a teacher said to you, whether all these things that were like, okay, well, that's how it's meant to be. It's like, but is that how it's meant to be for you? And really being really honest with yourself, stripping those things back. And I think once you're there in that alignment, then that to me is a standout life. You know, when you just see people, you're like, wow, you, you're just glowing and you're owning it. That That is a standout life to me. Yeah, yeah, it's such a beautiful way to do it. And I find in that glow when you see those people, they've done the hard work. Yeah, yeah. It's not been easy to get there. And Absolutely not. They've been at, yeah, been on the darkness and yeah, risen through it for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Samantha. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.